0: Well, we um, are in Acts chapter 6 and we are dealing with the man with the face of an angel. And of course, you know who that is, don't you? That's Stephen. And uh, we were introduced to Stephen back in uh, on the same chapter, chapter 6, verse 5, where they chose the ones that would be the servants, and they were to... Uh, served the the tables and he was full of the faith and uh, of course the Holy Spirit as all the other ones that were chosen as they chose seven he was one of them and uh, so now we get to branch off of that and go into this study of this great man of faith and all we have is this chapter 6 and chapter 7 but that's not bad most individuals in the Bible don't get two full chapters. And he gets a whole message in there. And uh, that's, that's the main subject for these, these two chapters. It's kind of funny. Uh, I don't know if it's funny or not, but, you know, there he was. You're introduced to him and then he's taken off the face of the earth. God just took him out and he allowed him to be the first martyr of the church, this Stephen. And as a result of this, we get to look at his character. And there is a lot about his character just in a couple of chapters. And we know, if we look back, so far we've really um, been honing in on Peter, especially. And he's the apostle that goes to, to the Jews, for the most part. That's the one who's going to go there. Of course, he's going to have something to do with it in chapter 10, as he kind of gets it out to the Gentiles, but Peter mainly was the apostle to the Jewish people. Then, of course, Paul is known to be the apostle to the Gentiles, even though, you know, he'd go into the synagogue, speak to the Jews, but he was apostle to the Gentiles for the most part as he went on missions and all over the rest of the world there. There happens, and we'll see more of Paul. We'll start seeing Paul in uh, chapter 8, chapter 9, get introduced to him heavily there, and then from uh, there on out, um, mostly mostly Paul. Uh, so we're, we're getting ready to begin to unfold him and his ministry that God has for him. Now, here's where Stephen comes in. He's kind of like the bridge of the ministry of Peter and the ministry of Paul, and his bridge is going to be short, but it's going to kind of um, fuse those together a little bit. Uh, Peter has basically been in Jerusalem. Paul is going to minister to the Gentiles. Um, Stephen actually is going to minister to Jews, but they are Jews in Gentile places. They're Jews who went and lived in different areas of the rest of the world. They were Grecian Jews, I guess you could call them. So, that's kind of interesting how all that kind of plays together. And uh, you'll notice as Stephen is martyred at this death of Stephen, the church actually then abruptly changes from dominating in Jerusalem to going on out. So, Stephen is kind of like a catalyst to get the church moving. And uh, God uses persecution to do that, I think. And this is the way that God wanted it to happen. If he's sovereign, that's he's in control. That's the way that it was supposed to go down. And you remember that we've already seen that the uh, early apostles were really being persecuted, but none of them have been martyred. Of course, we know Jesus had been. He had been killed. But anybody in the church really hasn't been Uh, killed yet for uh, the sake of uh, preaching the gospel and they had said this you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine they filled Jerusalem that's saying everybody knows what they've been preaching and what they're about it is well known well known so I think the task definitely has been accomplished as Jesus had said, you go from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, Syria. most parts of the earth. God says, okay, we've done the task here in Jerusalem. There have been literally thousands of Christians now, uh, brand new Christians in a short amount of time. We don't know the time lapse here, but uh, God had the gospel preached in that city And I think for the most part, it's time to move on. Now, granted, there will be other people who will become Christians there, but for the most part, the ones that he has chosen probably have come to that. And now, let's focus on bringing it on further out. And so, we see in this chapter where the hostility is in Jerusalem and in that area, and around there, and they're so hostile they will kill Stephen, a man full of faith, full of the Spirit, full of power, full of grace, all of the above, and they're going to kill this man. And now the gospel will go further. So we'll look at that character. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for men like Stephen The apostles, the early church, what an example that uh, you gave as you just filled them with your word, with your spirit, with your power. It uh, truly must have been an awesome thing to see your gospel work in a big way. And we know that at the same time, people become very hostile to when the gospel is offered. And so we see it in this, this man of great character. And um, we see that... Men who hate Christ will actually go to the extent of killing your people because they're representing you. And it's because of you, Lord. We know that um, many respond positively, but many others respond in a very wicked, hostile way. Thank you, Lord, for your truth. May it give us wisdom. May it give us um, even up-to-date Not only information, advice, but encouragement as we live in such a time. And it's always been that way where people do not like your truth. May we be empowered by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we talk about this godly character here of Stephen. And we know in our last study... uh, We picked it up there, off of there, where there were seven men, as I said earlier. They're distributing food to the Hellenistic uh, women, the the, uh, widows and such. And the apostles didn't have time to do that. They needed really good, solid men, though, to come in and fill in the gap. We don't know how much time it was between that time. Hey, Lori, good to see you. How you doing? We don't know how much time it was between the time that what happened or whenever Stephen was chosen to be um, a servant and then when he goes out and preaches um, the gospel and he's um, accused of blasphemy and um, of course he preaches that great message. Um, But anyway, I think that he was uh, a great, great man. John the Baptist was considered the greatest man who lived up to that time but he said then greater are the ones who are going to be in the church I mean they're going to be filled with God's spirit and they're going to be able to do things and see things even in a more open way than even John the Baptist did but we know John the Baptist was a great man we know that Stephen is a great man and the key verse really is found in verse 15 And fixing their gaze on him all who were sitting in the council and, and, and judgment on him saw his face like the face of an angel. That's where we get our title. And hopefully we will, we'll get to that verse and um, maybe have a little bit discovery on that that um, can even help us a little bit more what that is and who this guy is. Anyway, he's the catalyst to the explosion of the church as it's going to expand. As as he will die for, the greatest cause there is, the gospel. And I want to tell you, just because um, one has a, um, I think the effect that a man's life might have on people really doesn't have a lot to do with the length of it. Because in, in here, it uh, of course, we, we get a, a couple of chapters about him and what he's, what he's doing, what he's saying. But it was a short time, and you're thinking, if this man was that great, thinking humanly, would say, well, God could have used him even more. Could have used him in a bigger way. You know, look, Paul got to go out and do all that ministry for all those years, and most of the apostles, they they lived for quite some time. And you say, why did God take Stephen out? Well, uh, God knew exactly what he was doing, and matter of fact, he didn't uh, live... um, uh, I I, I I think what you could say, he didn't die one day sooner than he should have. I mean, he died at the very moment that God has always had in mind. And when you think of it that way, you say, well, God is a sovereign God. He's in control of this. So, okay. And, by the way, God doesn't need us, but it is an amazing thing that He sure uses us. And this little short stint I mean, his candle burns out quickly, but boy did his message hit at the heart of what the gospel was about. Now, he's the trigger that really shoots the church right on into the world. That's what God's going to use. Um, So far, limited threats. Limited threats and imprisonment. There's been some verbal abuse on the apostles. And now, they have a roaring... Burst of hatred and fury against this man, Stephen. and the only thing that can be satisfied is with his blood. They are going to kill him. They're gnashing at the teeth. They cannot put up with him. Well let's let's take a look at the character. Verse eight and Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men from what was called the Synagogue of the Freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia, Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. But they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit which he was speaking Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came up to him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. They put forward false witnesses who said, This man incessantly speaks against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Nazarene Jesus will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. Well, he is full of great things. We know one thing. Would you say that he's full of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. This is a requirement that the apostles laid down on the ones who were going to be the servants. Serving tables in chapter 6, verse 3. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom. Full of the Spirit. So that was a requirement. That's what he did. We're to be filled with the Holy Spirit constantly. That's That's an ongoing, everyday thing. Knowing this man, he was filled with God's Spirit all the time. So he had a good reputation. He was full of the Holy Spirit. And it's not just some kind of an ecstatic experience hit and miss uh, one day here and maybe uh, a couple of months later. We're talking uh, a daily walk. That's what being filled with God's Spirit is. Walking with Christ every day under the control of the Holy Spirit. Being led by Him. Under His control. And when one is under His control in Galatians 5, it says this is what is produced the fruit of the Spirit. When you're filled with the Spirit, you also will show outwardly love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And so he produced that kind of fruit. That's Jesus Christ, really. (laughs) That's really Christ. And of course, the more we become like Christ, that he can produce that fruit in us. In uh, chapter um, six, verse um, ten, it says that um, they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. They couldn't cope with the very power of God's spirit in him. He, he was dominated by the Holy Spirit. He was controlled by the Holy Spirit. He, he just couldn't help it. He didn't have to try to work this up. You know, I've got to be spiritual. Is that he just let God control there and? obeying is is a part of that matter of fact, there's two words that as a hymn that we probably sing very often, what is it Janus
1: <laughs>
0: that is it that's that's our lives. Trust and obey trust and obey boy there's no other one Trust and obey he believed God. And he did what the Spirit told him. So his life is just full of the Holy Spirit. So that's part of being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's part and parcel. Obedience. Uh, Somebody has used the illustration. I don't know if it's good or not, but maybe it helps a little bit. It's like a hand and a glove. And, of course, uh, the glove just goes because the hand is in it, right? That glove is not going to do anything. Christians are like the glove. But without that hand in there, the gloves are just useless. If you're filled with the Spirit, you don't really need to ask anything. You just do whatever the energy of the Spirit does in you and uh, just be obedient to uh, how he's, He's leading you. Turn to chapter 7, verse 55. He did His message, made people violently angry, and, and verse 55 says, but being full of the Holy Spirit. That's why he, he gazed intently into heaven, saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. That, he was fully, fully full of the Spirit, wasn't he? Totally controlled by him, and God gave him a glimpse of his glory. I'm thinking of uh, Luke, Luke 12. 12 Lori, did did you need an outline? Do we have an extra outline or anything? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you remember this? For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. There, he's talking like to the apostles, and then later on, I think even we today can realize there's been times when we didn't exactly know what to say. Maybe we were questioned or whatever. There's a great opportunity to share Christ and He just gave you the words to say. Now, a lot of that is because maybe you just read a passage during the day or it's been stuck in your mind, but it's amazing how God will take certain Scriptures and bring them to your mind. Have you ever noticed that? That's a powerful thing. And, And the more we're in the Word, the more that we'll have memorized or know basically where it is or if we can pick up the Bible and say, well, I can't remember exactly how it goes, but here it is right here, you know. You know, those things are really helpful. But here it says, I will, I will give you exactly what to say in that very hour. And of course, Stephen, with that great message that he gave, uh, very powerful and just like what Peter had done. Uh, well, full of the Holy Spirit. Another one is full of wisdom. Man, uh, what else do you want? Full of God's Spirit? Full of God's wisdom? And actually, wisdom, when you think of it in the Old Testament, it comes from a word that actually means skill. Uh, When God had the artisans, the craftsmen, to make things for the tabernacle, they were skilled, but the word is also dealing with wisdom. They had the wisdom to make this thing. God put it in them to be able to do what they did. to, To get all the wood and everything together and make this great place all the furniture that was in it so you take that little nuance there and it, it's skill to live life wisdom being able to use truth not just head knowledge I bet you somebody's calling every time lately that's been quite the uh, the deal I don't shut my phone down that's Peter this time by the way, did you did you guys know, last week, I was actually listening. Uh, I wake up between 6.30 and 7, and I just kind of lie there in bed, and, and I, I listen, I hear most of the things. It's uh, on bot radio, it's grace to you. And right at the end of it, it really woke me up, because I was, you know, I, you ever slept, but yet you're, things are kind of going in and out. And, and I heard the word, the staff and Peter Salmon's. And I go, what? <laughs> really? <laughs> Peter Sammons is on Grace to You. Yeah, well, he's the editor. He's yeah, an editor there. He is the editor. And so I went to um, um, uh, what is it? Uh, I went to my iPod, and um, I I went to that day day show, went back on it and saw what it was at the end, and said, yep. Peter Sammons, they introduced him. Peter Sammons is a guy that used to to come here before he went to seminary. And he he used to work at the store. And, uh, yeah, we've supported him whenever he was going to school and such. God has blessed him in a great way, but he's going to be doing a seminary up in Chicago. Really, he's going to be there for two years. They have him as the editor. So when if they ever say that name again, you'll say, "Hey, I kind of I know who he is." But yeah, I will. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I think they'll just introduce him because he had just started recently. But the, I thought that was pretty neat uh, as we as we heard that. But uh, but that that's him right there on the phone. But he 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 always calls at this <laughs> hour.
2: it down to the format for the radio section yep. yeah 15-20 minutes actually is probably what it is so it makes sense out of that what he's done so it takes somebody to know somebody really well to be able to take and cut and make it make close
0: and keep those right thinking right thinking together yeah that's yeah, kind of neat the guy introduced it. of course they always had those really nice voices you know
2: which is very
0: Anyway, um, living a life. uh, Living the life of the knowledge that we've been given. We have head knowledge, but then taking the knowledge and putting it into action and and using it. And you see this quite a bit in in this section. In chapter 6, verse 3, God keeps saying this. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and wisdom. And then we see that in verse 10 that we had just read. They were unable to cope with the wisdom that he was speaking. Chapter 7, verse 10, he uses that word and rescued him from all his afflictions and granted him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh. And there is that word again. God gives that wisdom. Um, He's talking about the patriarchs, Joseph there while he was in Egypt. And in verse 22... Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians and he was a man of power in words and deeds. Or um, some versions will have um, the idea of wisdom there also. Of course, we know that um, Moses was. And go back and look at uh, a few Proverbs dealing with wisdom. Chapter 2, verse 6. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. So anybody that really has wisdom, godly wisdom, it it only can come from God. He's the one that grants it, that gives it. Chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When you have a holy view of God, that's where wisdom starts, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. God in Ephesians says uh, that we are to have our eyes opened, understanding, be enlightened. Right? First Corinthians one eighteen. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Well, when you think of wisdom, you think of the opposite is foolishness, right? Well, that's what the um, person who does not know God think thinks that it is. If we go on further. It says, "I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever. I will set aside." That's the worldly wise man, right? Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where are those guys that are supposed to be the great scholars, the great wise men of the world? And and really Paul, God's Holy Spirit saying that. Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of the world, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe for indeed Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom but we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness but Christ is the power of God the wisdom of God it says in verse 24 so uh, full of the Holy Spirit controlled by the Holy Spirit full of wisdom controlled by the wisdom of God He's full of faith. We'll go back to Acts, or Acts six. We go back to chapter six verse three. Therefore, brethren, select from among you men of good reputation, full of spirit and wisdom whom we may put in charge of this task. There's spirit, wisdom, um, and then we see as he's full of that, he's controlled with this. He believes God. He trusts God in every way. And for him to actually die, be willing to die, it took great faith. He just believed God. Okay. He's sovereign. He's controlling. Full of faith. You ever heard of anybody full of anger? <sighs> He was so angry. He was just full of anger. He was full of fury. Uh, full of madness. Or somebody can be full of joy. You know, they're being let along, controlled by that. Controlled at that moment. Well, he knew that God controlled history. Of course, you look at the message coming up. We know he he definitely believes God. He knows, knows he rules history in every... Uh, way in in everything and even this situation that he's in now. He not only believed God was controlling history he believed that Jesus was the Messiah. That's how he became a Christian, right? Um, Not only was he Messiah but he was the one that was crucified was buried and arose and ascended and not only that but he believed that God cared for him with an absolute true love and he believed in the Holy Spirit. So, he is definitely full of quite the faith. Verse 5 says it. The statement found approval with the whole congregation and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith. Absolutely controlled by faith. Now, all of us who are Christians, Right? We have faith. We believe. And he believed God so much that it didn't matter what happened to him because he knew if he speaks a word amongst these people with what he's going to speak with, he knows that his life is in danger. He's already experienced what's happened to the apostles. Of course, they took the lashes, you know, They'd they been in jail, then out, and then back in. They were whooped pretty good, but they went on and, and uh, said, Praise the Lord you know, that we, we were found worthy to be persecuted like this. So Stephen knows that that same kind of thing can happen. But he also knows what happened to his Savior. They did it to him. Why wouldn't they do it to anybody else who believes in him? So I, I think he, with that wisdom that he has, he knows that his time could be short, But he leaves it up to God. And it's just like he lays out his eternal destiny. Just throws it out there. Here, God, whatever. You know, whatever you do is going to be great. It kind of reminds me of a way. Of course, Enoch didn't die. He just passed on up to be with the Lord. He just walked with the Lord and boom, walked off the face of the earth. And then you look at this here. Of course, he's killed. He's stoned. But at the same time, he gets to go be with the glory of God it's like Stephen I want you to be up here with me (laughs) so you know he uh, he couldn't lose could he he didn't have a thing to worry about matter of fact I have to tell myself this every day I don't have a thing to worry about because I can start worrying I can start thinking and we don't have a thing to worry about. As a matter of fact, we're commanded. Do not be anxious. What's that mean? Don't be worried. Don't be anxious. God's got this under control. So if we really believed Him, why would we even be anxious on certain things? It's part of that walking by faith, isn't it? I think grace is another thing that He is definitely full of uh, because it says it right here and Stephen full of grace full of grace now there's a saving grace all Christians have a saving grace all have that same grace there's a grace that comes in persecution and that certainly is going to be uh, experienced by Stephen here as God gives him great grace and allowing him to see this glory of him but there's another grace And it's a grace of loving kindness. And I think that's what is probably being used here. A loving kindness, a grace toward others. Not only receiving grace from God to be saved, but also to give it out to people. And you see it at the end of the message. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The very ones who are going to kill him, he's telling the Father in a prayer forgive them. Don't hold it against them. That's remarkable. If somebody was killing you killing me what would I think? What would I think about these people? Boy that's full of grace. That is a Christ like life because that's what Christ said.
2: Yep.
0: Yep. Yep. I've got a feeling he heard that story about one of the statements that Jesus said on the cross. That might be one of the reasons why they chose him to be responsible for all the people that needed care, the widows that were being overlooked because of his great grace, his absolute loving kindness. The the character that Stephen has is incredible. You think, okay, you know, he's full of power and he's Full of wisdom, but I bet he's really hard with people. You know, you've seen people that have a lot of knowledge and such, or maybe they're they're good at this. But boy, well, another thing, you know, they're a little weak over here. And it's like, why? You know, he's well-rounded, isn't he? He has all of this. Of course, it's really dealing with fruit of the spirit. It's just developing it. He developed it. God developed it in him full of grace towards others, a graciousness of His character. Look in chapter 7, verse 60. That's where you find it. Then falling on His knees, as they're stoning Him, He cried out with a loud voice. Last thing He says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, He fell asleep. That's it. The great grace that is there. You mean as far as uh, forgiveness? Yeah. (laughs)
1: That's
0: about the best example that we get. Of course, Saul who is Paul. Paul is having a lot to do with this. Matter of fact, maybe, (laughs) maybe he was the one that instigated all this. And he's definitely there. And I have to wonder, did he know Stephen? Quite a thought. I'm going to ask that if I get an opportunity in heaven one of these days. You won't find it in any writings. But, uh, hey, Paul, whenever Stephen was telling you the truth of the gospel, well, that must have been quite a debate going on with those two. If that would have been. I'm reading into this. may not have happened, but being in Jerusalem, you know, and Paul had been there. Of course, he's the one that's killing him, having part of it. He was there. Uh, Boy, how could he be so forgiving? Well, he believed God was in control of even that, of what happened to him. God could have kept that from happening, couldn't he? That's when you start seeing hard things to understand about God. Well, why would he take somebody out who's such a great man of faith? Well, maybe that's exactly the reason why. Yeah, he's not going to have to go through a lot of things maybe the other apostles are going to go for years. And that's a great opportunity too. <laughs> but uh you have to go be with the Lord. Quite a thing. Uh he extend grace towards everybody else. And you know, Stephen wasn't even trying to protect himself. He said God, you know, do whatever you're going to do. Look at Titus three, five and six. love this section. He saved us. It tells the negative. Not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life grace mercy grace and mercy Jesus came full of grace and truth Stephen was full of grace that is what I think we need to let the Lord work on us all the more constantly that we would just have just the grace of loving kindness poured out on us and at the same time not only full of the Holy Spirit not only full of grace not only full of uh, truth and all the things that you can think of that we have mentioned about but he's full of power well if you're full of the Holy Spirit what are you? you're full of the power the power of God's Spirit so What you have in verse 8 is a statement of identity which you have in verse 5. And that's a statement of identity. And in verse 8, it's a statement of effect because you have those, then here's the power that comes. He's full of faith, therefore He's gracious. If uh, you're justified by faith, but you, you live by faith, then... He becomes gracious. He's full of the Spirit. Therefore, He is powerful. His power is seen in that very verse there. Full of grace and power was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Of course, we know it's not Himself. It's God working through Him. That's God's stuff. But He's using this man to do that. So, filled with the Spirit of God, you'll be powerful he said you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you of course he came and he filled him and filled him constantly Um, chapter 8 verse 6 and 7 the crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing for the For the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them shouting with a loud voice. And many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. That's in Samaria. They went there pretty shortly. And the power there is seen in another man. It's not Stephen because he's been killed, but God brings out another man. He's not the part of the 12, but he's like another apostle, but he's not that number of the 12, but he does some of the same things that they do as he's preaching and he's healing, that's Philip. So, um, we keep going on, look in chapter 15, verse 12. All the people kept silent and they were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. This was at the church, first church council in chapter 15. And, of course, there is Barnabas and Paul and Peter. What a conference. That must have been. They were trying to make a decision on what to do with the Gentiles. They were Jews we're Christians these Gentiles over here what do we do with them they don't do some of the same things and they were bringing up circumcision and uh, all of that stuff you know, you know it's not necessary you know in the sense of becoming a Christian can you imagine what a meeting that was Fool, love to have that on CD <laughs>
1: uh,
0: Second Corinthians or er, nah it's okay We can go on. Uh, Look at the outward quality of Stephen. I believe he manifested the glory of God at this time. The one who suffers persecution, Peter had said, uh, shall be the spirit of grace and glory. I believe that Stephen had radiating from his face the very glory of God. And I, I want to tell you, as he has made it very evident to these guys how powerful God is, and, and w- the way that he speaks and with what he's done, the glory of God is going to be seen there. Now I'm skipping ahead to that, that last verse of chapter uh, uh, chapter six, before we go into seven. They saw his face like the face of an angel. Think Moses. Think Moses for a moment. Think about that glory that was shining on his face. Think about the veil that he had to have because it was radiating. (laughs) It was too much for the people. And here you you have uh, this kind of thing happening. Now, I'm going to kind of mix it up a little bit here and I'm going to come back to verse 9, but look at verse 11. They secretly induced men to say, he wasn't blaspheming, but they're secretly inducing people to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against who? Moses. Moses, Old Testament. Moses represents the law. Wrote the Pentateuch. Moses is the great man. Of Israel, the Jews, they respect him highly. Moses had that glory of God on him. They see in this council where they are against him, they see his face with this glory on it, face like a, an angel. Um, and it's like, in a sense, I proved of Moses' covenant. And I'm approving of this new covenant that Stephen is talking about look in verse yeah. let's go to go to go to exodus thirty four twenty nine for a moment It came about when Moses was coming down from Mount Sinai and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand as he was coming down from the mountain that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking with him. So when Aaron and all the sons of Israel saw Moses behold the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him and Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers and the congregation returned to him, and Moses spoke to them. Afterward, all the sons of Israel came near, and he commanded them to do everything that the Lord had spoken to them on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take off the veil until he came out. And whenever he came out and spoke to the sons of Israel what he had been commanded, the sons of Israel would see the faces of Moses, face of Moses that the skin of Moses' face shone. So Moses would replace the veil over his face until he went to speak with him. Well, this time you have another man with his face shining. And they're recognizing it. And they're seeing a man who's introducing the new covenant. And he never ran down Moses at all. Matter of fact, he lifted up Moses in the ministry that he had. But now we all with unveiled face behold the glory of the Lord. God gave him a little glimpse of what that was and it indicts him. It convicts them. He's saying, I approve of this man. Right there in the face of Israel is the face of God, or the face of Stephen from the, with the glory of God on his face. Let's back up into verse 9. We're kind of hitting and missing on this section, but let's look at the great witness that he had. But some men, from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, tells who they are, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. But they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And this is where they start saying that he had blasphemous words and spoke against Moses, spoke against the, the temple. And he was not doing that. A matter of fact, we, we, hear, we look at his message and we see what he's saying about that, what his belief was. Stephen, what he did is he would take the gospel, communicate it, going to the foreign Jews. You see the word, um, uh, the freedmen? The synagogue of the freedmen. Synagogue is sunagoge. It's a gathering of of, of people, um, and that's really what a synagogue was. A synagogue started at the time of the after the Babylonian um, massacre, and then of course they were they were taken to Babylon, and then they came back. And, of course, they'd set up tabernacles. They didn't have a temple, and even in Babylon, they would have gatherings. That's how they would meet. No longer have a temple. They they came back. Well, those synagogues kind of hung around, especially if you go far away from the temple. You can't travel that far all the time. But there were synagogues even in Jerusalem, and there were these freedmen. He said, "Well, who are the freedmen?" Well, they're Jewish people who had gone to uh, other places and were arrested, uh, taken to Rome and then they were let free from Rome. So therefore they were kind of scattered out all over the the area in the Roman Empire and they were Jews who had been held captive and now were set free. Some of those freedmen would then come to Jerusalem and they'd come to, you know, like the feasts and the festivals. And there were these uh, synagogues where when a lot of people would leave and go back to their homeland, they would still keep these synagogues going. There would be enough around in Jerusalem. And actually, there were even with the temple, I have found out by historians, there were several synagogues in Jerusalem, even with the temple. I never thought of that. Why would they need synagogues when they have a temple? Well, they would go and meet together. And of course, it's kind of like churches today. You know, they, they get a little split. You know, and they go over here, and then another one splits off that and such. And so, and and then you have you have different groups of these guys. Some are the Cyrenians and Alexandrians. You're talking like uh, northern Africa. They could have had a synagogue there in Jerusalem. And then you have Cilicia and Asia. Um,
2: so they were already done.
0: Yeah, and some of it was maybe because of the cultures that they had come from. Something, you know, was dividing them there. Well, Stephen is going to these synagogues. There's, there are at least as many as three. Some say well, there's five. there could have been five of them there. But um, he's the forerunner of Paul. He's going out to these Jewish Gentiles, if I can say that, because they came from Gentile lands, and they dispute with him. And there's a fair debate going on. A really good debate. And Stephen wins every time. Remember, he's full of the Holy Spirit, which means he's full of the Word of God. The apostles are teaching him, and he's getting everything that he possibly can. Can't get enough. And the Holy Spirit gives him everything that he needs to say at the time. How can he lose?
2: What is Stephen? I mean, Paul had his, his teaching stuff like that, but I never thought about who was Stephen. I mean, what did he... You know, we need to call group in, into the uh, system of the Jewish people.
0: Well, all that we have is right here. Yeah. Exactly.
2: Uh, sure, you know, he was a um, well-taught
0: no, no story on that, but I would think that uh, probably God had groomed him. Uh, he probably knew Old Testament Scripture. I mean, it was pretty quick. on. wouldn't necessarily have Gosh. to have been schooled, but I tend to think he... Uh, definitely being full of God's spirit and power and, and such, he was quite a quite a man that uh, could take on anybody.
2: He would anybody. be hard for, those, for a
0: layperson, right.
2: particularly in that culture, to come in there and defuse them by the scriptures. They
0: would allow him. To,
2: yes, yeah, to do the
0: But I, I think he knew him too. And so in the in these gathering places, in these these synagogues, uh, matter of fact, some historians have said there were 480 Synagogues in Jerusalem, 480. Okay, let's say you have to have at least 10 people to have a synagogue. Okay, if there's 480. What do you have there? That's 480 people, probably more than 10. But Jerusalem's a big city, and then there are going to be people coming in from uh, other areas. Uh, but at, at any rate, there was definitely a lot of lot of different things happening going on there. But I think. He might have gotten a lot of them together. And uh, maybe they, they had a place where he could come together, or he went to different ones. He constantly had these foreign speaking synagogues. He would go in and then be able to challenge them. And so he remained in Jerusalem. The synagogues remained in Jerusalem, and of course people would go there. They'd speak their language and, and feel comfortable with who they were, and that, that's a good thing. So they're pocketed in, in these, and, and Stephen is one going there. So that gives us a little insight there, doesn't it? So the word's gotten around already that uh, as he was doing that, I'm um, not going to go into detail on all, all this, but can you imagine an unregenerate Saul, who will be Paul, who will be regenerate, debating with Stephen? And you know who won that debate? If that would have been, Stephen would have won that's This is the great apostle Paul, but he's not an apostle yet. And until God comes in him with the Holy Spirit, he has the law down very well. He knows the Old Testament as good as anybody in the world. But Stephen, if he got the chance to take him on and give him truth. But you see that word Cilicia there? Um, tarsus. Tarsus from there that's where Paul came from so uh, I'd have to think it would be interesting to uh, have quite that a uh, sanctified mind of, of Stephen what a thriller that would have been though if you could have listened in on that and you can imagine the law that Saul would be standing up for and all the way through and the the uh, the temple and such so anyway quite quite interesting and um, verse 12. They stirred up the people. You have religious people, and now they're going out and stirring up the people who have really been in favor of the church. And, of course, they've been healing their people and everything. So the church has... You know, people have been standing back a little bit, but they're kind of in awe of what's happening in the church. Now This is all historical stuff. Now these people are going to be convinced by the elders and the scribes, the leaders they came up to him and dragged him away and that's that's a violent term there very violent as they uh, as they drag him away as they as they take him and um they take him before the council the court and just like they've done before they in verse 13 they put forward false witnesses made up a story who said, this man incessantly speaks against this holy place, temple, and the law. And you notice they make that up. It's not true at all. For we have heard him say that this Nazarene Jesus, I identify him, a lot of people had the name Jesus, or Yahashua, Yeshua, the Nazarene, we heard him say, well, we'll destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. And then right after that, this is what I find so fascinating, they see this glory. Because ultimately, oh, you know, at the end of this message, he sees the glory of God, doesn't he? And it's so much of inwardly into him that God grants him to just be glowing on the outside. And of course, he's definitely going to be bringing up Moses, isn't he? Well, what's the next tactic after debate? They lose the debates Every time they lose the debates. They always will. Because the truth is the gospel. They lose. Next thing is always slander. If you can't beat truth, you have to slander. So what you do is you do the same thing that politics does. If you can't get somebody on what their truth is, you start making up things about them. And so if you can't do things with them, you start defaming their character. You look for things to try to defame them. There have been several men up for being judges, Supreme Court judges, that had outstanding character. And then those ungodly men would come up with a story about them. (laughs) Right and always be able to get them out of the position that they're so afraid they could get. Well, they couldn't handle His wisdom. They couldn't handle His spirit. Couldn't handle anything that He is filled with, can they? They can't do it. They don't have a chance. Why weren't they persuaded by the signs and the wonders? Just that. Well, Jesus did signs and wonders... But they weren't persuaded. They saw it, but they attributed the works to the devil. He is the devil. <laughs> Why weren't they convinced by his amazing logic and the use of the Word of God with all his wisdom and his debating skills? Well, in 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, we get the answer. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Unless they're opened up to see, they can't get it. That's amazing, isn't it?
1: That's
0: right. A woman... Acts 16.14 A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira a cell of purple fabrics a worshiper of God she wasn't a Christian yet was listening to Paul and Silas preach and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. That's what it takes. It takes God to come in and initiate it. That's the reason they couldn't believe because of the miracles because of the great word preached or all the truth look in Ephesians 4.18 and we'll close this up here so this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind look at this being darkened in their understanding and Earlier chapters, Paul prayed that they would be enlightened, have understanding. Here, they are excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the, here we go, hardness of their heart. It has to be softened. has to be opened. They don't want God. Though. They, they stirred up the people and the elders and uh, the violence comes. And... Uh, what did Stephen do? We haven't gotten into the sermon. We'll get into that and finish the next chapter next week. But God often works in ways, I think, that so much confounds the logic, even of the saints. You know, my natural reaction, Lord, you could have used this Stephen. Oh, I can imagine him in Jerusalem and uh, the freedmen and all the synagogues and ministry that he had to sacrifice a man of Stephen's character and caliber. It just seems illogical, God. Why would you do that? God doesn't make sense. (laughs) Oh, He makes perfect sense. But to human minds. But the more we open up God's Word, I think we get to see a little more insight of the sovereignty of God just here in the book of Acts, don't we? We see Him operating in total sovereignty, taking a man, using Him, and then bringing Him right on up to Him in a glorious way. Why wouldn't you want to strike a wicked man down? Why wouldn't you want to strike down these elders and the you know the chief priests? You know? God does work in mysterious ways, doesn't He? But the more we get to know Him, we can say, you know, that was His plan. And that was the best way. I think that's what Stephen had already come to the conclusion of. God's a great God, isn't He? Let's pray. Father, we thank You. Thank You for this man who gives us a little glimpse of the character that he has It's because of Christ in him. Him in Christ. Full of the Holy Spirit. Full of Your Word. Lord, help us to take these truths and help them be developed more in each one of our own lives that we could be full of all those character traits and being more and more like that and then you just opening our heart up to more and more truth and the more that we seek you out the more truth that you'll give us and we can then understand things that go on in our own lives or other people's lives that doesn't seem to make sense and then realize you're an absolute total charge and it's the best thing ultimately because you work all things together for good to those who love you and call according to your purpose. In your son's name we pray. Amen.